0: As they're serving you this morning, let me uh, say that we have a, um, uh, a, a long way to go and a short time to get there this morning, so I'm going to ask you to, to hang with me today and uh, let's take a journey. This is a Mother's Day message in some ways, but it's not just to moms. I think it's applicable to all parents, but beyond parenthood, if you will look into the heart of this message, it is for everybody. Uh, the title of the message is The Danger of Getting the Deep Desire. Or the danger of getting your deepest desires? And, and I want to ask you the question, could getting all you've ever wanted be the worst thing that ever happened to you? And I want you to let that question settle in your heart. We're in a study of the counterfeit God study. Tim Keller wrote the book. We have those books available in our resource center. If you would like to pick them up, it's a phenomenal book that this sermon and this series is based upon that study of counterfeit gods. And the second sermon in that series is answering the question, could getting all you've ever wanted be the worst thing that ever happened to you? You see, we spend our lives chasing dreams and pursuing happiness, trying to acquire those desires. We sacrifice greatly to achieve worthwhile things, never really stopping long enough to realize that getting our heart's deepest desire could be the worst thing that ever happened to us. I want to take you down that journey by introducing you to a woman named Anna. Uh, This is not the biblical character Anna. This is a real life woman whose name has been changed to protect her identity. She is a woman who was known by those that knew her best even in the days of being single. Her greatest passion in life was to be a mother. She dreamed of having children. She dreamed of being mother. She would often describe what motherhood would be like even before she ever met and married her husband. Uh, Years went by, she uh, was discovered physically to have medical issues that would probably keep her from having any children at all, whatsoever, and so her passion and desire became nearly impossible before she ever married. She married later in life with even added more to the difficulty of fulfilling her dreams of being a mother, but when she met her husband, God rewarded them, blessed them, gave them two healthy children. And you would think that with the adversity in Anna's life, this would be the time to end the story, get a producer, call the Lifetime Television Network, get with Hallmark, make a tearjerker of a story about how a sad story became true and all the dreams were fulfilled, but that's not the case. All the years without children in Anna's life caused her to dream, maybe even begin to infatuate about what it was going to be like to have children. So much so that she had their lives planned out. She knew that if she had a girl, what it was going to be like. She knew if she had a boy, what it was going to be like. She knew what they were going to be. and She knew exactly how she was going to help them. She was going to give them the best life possible. And But inevitably, she she, she was able to plan out her lives, and she knew what she was going to get there. But that plan gave her an overpowering drive to give her children the perfect life. And because of that overpowering ambition to give them a perfect life, it kept her from ever actually enjoying her children. Her overprotectiveness, her fears and anxieties, and her need to control every detail of her children's lives made her miserable. It made motherhood miserable. It made her children, her marriage, her entire family miserable. It stunted her children's ability to develop mentally and spiritually and socially. Her unhealthy ambition that she imposed upon her kids set them so high on a pedestal that her relationship with her kids trumped her relationship with her husband to the point that it caused trouble in the marriage. If you think about it, it it may have been love and romance that started her relationship with her husband, but really deep down on the inside, her passion in life was to be a mother, And maybe she loved her husband not because of him, but she loved her husband because he was the mean to the greatest love in her life. He wasn't an end. He was the means to an end in her life to fulfill her greatest passion, her greatest joy, and that was motherhood. Anna's oldest child did poorly in school and had trouble emotionally. Her youngest child was bitter and angry all the time. It's possible that Anna's drive to give her children wonderful lives will be the very thing that destroys them. But getting her heart's deepest desire could be the worst thing that ever happened to Anna. In the 1980s, Cynthia Heimel wrote about three friends that she had, and she described them, and I quote, as perfectly decent human beings. But as she journeyed with them through life, three of those friends began to, they were discovered in their fields of labor. And every one of those three that she writes about had celebrity. And the celebrity status they had gained brought them wealth and every desire in their life was fulfilled. She's writing about this after they are celebrities and they have everything they ever wanted. And she's talking about how celebrity status and getting everything they ever wanted changed them from perfectly good human beings into what she describes as monsters. Literally, I quote, she says, the minute a person becomes a celebrity is the same minute they become a monster. She spends time in her writing describing how these perfectly good human beings were destroyed along the journey by getting everything they ever wanted. So why is getting our heart's deepest desire such a disaster? The Apostle Paul sheds a little light on that in Romans chapter 1. It's really from the heart of God. And I've never really noticed this, but in Romans chapter 1, one of the ways God judges humanity for its immorality is by giving humanity what it wants the most. Romans chapter 1 verse 24 says that God God, uh, turns man over to his sinful desires. He basically gives man the desires of his heart. He judges man by giving him what he wants. How can that be judgment? Because God knows that there's a hole in the human heart. We talked about it last week. There's a throne in the human heart. And only the King of kings and the Lord of lords can occupy that throne and man be at peace. But since the Garden of Eden, we've been kicking God off of the throne of our hearts. Trying to replace Him with the idols that our heart creates. We turn our desires into idols. Our heart, like we said last week, is an idol factory. And if the king is not on the throne where he belongs, then our heart is going to create something for which to live, for which to give its allegiance, its hope, its devotion. In the same way Israel didn't want God to be their king. They threw threw Him off the throne of the heart of their nation. And they said, we want a real king like every other nation has. And the monarchy established, God basically gave them what they wanted. And what they wanted almost destroyed them as a nation. And so God judges humanity in Romans 1 by giving them what they want. Because He knows the desires of our heart eventually becomes idols that will destroy our lives. In verse 25 of Romans chapter 1, it says how that happened. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Maybe God gives us something, but we put the gift above the gift giver. We put creation above the creator. And something that God did even for us in answer to prayer can take the place of God on the throne of our heart. Because every human being has to live for something. Something has to capture our imagination. Our hearts has to give its fundamental allegiance and hope to something. And the Bible tells us without the intervention of the Holy Spirit, that object of our allegiance and our worship will be something else besides God without the intervention of the Holy Spirit. And if something other than God is the object of our hope, allegiance, and worship, it will eventually break our hearts because idols are tough tasks masters. You see, Anna's problem was not that she loved her children too much, but that she loved God too little in comparison to her children. She, in a sense, made child gods of her children. She deified them. She deified the hopes and aspirations she had for her children, and the weight of expectation she placed on her children ultimately crushed them and every other meaningful relationship that she had in her life. Two ancient Jewish philosophers said this. The central principle of the Bible is the rejection of idolatry. There are a lot of themes in the Bible. But if you boil it down to one thread that weaves its way from Genesis to Revelation, it is the rejection of idolatry. That's why there's so much conversation about the nation of Israel and other nations' struggles with idolatry. That's why there's all of these stories about individual journeys of faith in the Bible, the stories of Moses, the stories of Abraham, the story of David. Ultimately, they're all a story about their own journey of beating idolatry or being beaten by the idols that they created in their heart. As I said, one of those stories is Abraham. We don't have time today to go into grave detail about all of the stories and the connection of Abraham's life. But I want to point you to the story where in Genesis 12 or Genesis 22, God tells Abraham to go to Mount Moriah and to take his son there. It's an amazing story. It's a story of a a man who had to trust God with everything that was on the inside of him. He had to risk God. He had to be obedient. But if you rewind back to Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You've been faithful to me. I'm going to give you descendants that number the stars in the sky. And through your line, through your seed, through your offspring, the entire earth is going to be blessed by what happens through your offspring. Well, Abraham's whole life, if it is connected to the identity of that promise, and it was, his hope, his future was all linked to a child. And biologically speaking, that was impossible. Decade after decade went by and Abraham and Sarah were getting older and older. And the reality of that promise was getting further and further away. The book of Genesis tells us in chapter 17 and in chapter 21 that after, before, or right after Isaac was born, that Abraham was over 100 and Sarah was over 90 Before Isaac was ever born. The years of agonizing waiting on the birth of their child had taken their toll on them. Any couple that has dealt with infertility can tell you the struggle that Abraham and Sarah was going through. They can affirm the toll that it takes. The waiting in Abraham's faith also forged his faith. It refined his faith. But it also created an unhealthy longing in his heart for the promise. Maybe to the point that Abraham began to be more infatuated with the promise of God than he was with God himself. There was no man on the planet that wanted a son more than Abraham wanted a son. Abraham had staked his whole identity as a man, as a patriarch, as a leader upon that promise. His whole integrity, his whole reputation was based on God fulfilling that promise. And maybe, just maybe. All of the fasting and the praying, and you find Abraham, you find an altar. Abraham was at an altar and he was calling out to God for a child. He was calling out to God to fulfill his promise again and again. And it causes us to ask the question of motives. We need to ask our own self, the motive of our worship, the motive of our sacrifice to God. Let's ask it of Abraham. Had Abraham been waiting so long and sacrificing so long that he was sacrificing more to get the boy than he was to get God? Was God merely a means to the greater end in Abraham's life because he'd become more in love with the promise than he had God? Is it, is it perhaps that, that the ultimate giving of his heart was not to God at all? The ultimate giving of his heart had been surrendered to the promise. The ultimate giving of his heart had been surrendered to the boy. We can all ask ourselves the same questions when we're waiting on God when we're believing for a miracle, when we're holding on for a promise. Maybe we become more in love with the healing than we do the healer. Maybe we become more in love with the restoration of the relationship than we are the God that can restore it. Maybe our hearts are so in tune with what God can do for us that we're not in love with who God is to us. In that case, God becomes a means to an end. A genie in a lamp that we can rub and have all of our wishes met instead of God. The motive of our life is not God. It is getting what God can give us. Because God understood that's what was happening in Abraham's life. Listen to how he addresses Abraham when he tells him to take Isaac to Mount Moriah. Genesis 22 verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. He said it four ways. He was putting his finger on the issue. He was getting down to the core problem of why all of this was happening. Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. He was trying to deal with the idol of Abraham's heart. He was aware that Abraham's affection had turned into adoration. And that Abraham had misplaced his love in Isaac. And the the, the throne of his heart had been turned upside down. He had placed Isaac where God was supposed to be. Did he love God? Yes. But the love of God in Abraham's life had taken a back seat to his adoration for Isaac. God wasn't telling Abraham, you can't love your son. He was just telling Abraham, you have turned your son into a counterfeit God. You need to understand the danger that was going on. It wasn't that God didn't want him to love Isaac. But God knew that if Isaac continued down that path, if Abraham continued down that path, that Abraham's misplaced love would eventually destroy Abraham and that it would eventually destroy Isaac. You say, Pastor, uh, you know, Abraham was treated pretty rough by God. I mean, that doesn't seem very fair what he asked him to go through if you step back and look at what was going on, God was actually being very merciful to Abraham. Because when things become idols in our life, those idols destroy us in the same way Anna longed to be a mother but couldn't enjoy it because of the perfection and this image that she had. Her children were miserable. They were emotionally stunted. They were socially stunted because of the control their mother placed upon their lives. The same kinds of things were going to happen to Abraham if his misplaced love was continuing the direction towards Isaac. He was going to have to get it right. He was going to have to get his priorities right. Until Abraham was willing to come face to face with a decision where he had to decide between obedience to God or loving His Son uh, and which was going to take the precedent. And it's not until those two, not until we're forced. You never know that your love in a relationship has become idolatrous until the obedience to God is in conflict with the love in that relationship. And the moment those two came to a crossroads and Abraham had to choose between one another, it was that conflict that exposed the idolatry in Abraham's heart. After it was all over, God said to Abraham, Now I know that you fear the Lord. He wasn't saying, Now I know you're afraid of me. To fear the Lord in the Scripture doesn't mean to be afraid of God. It means to be wholeheartedly committed to God. And what God was saying at the end of the story, now I know that you love me more than anything else in this world. And that's really what it means to fear the Lord. To love God more than anything else in this world. And it was when obedience to God and the love for His Son clashed that the idolatrous relationship in Abraham's life with Isaac became very familiar. It's similar way all of us deal with this. We may not realize how idolatrous our career has become. Until we're faced with a situation where telling the truth or acting in integrity may cause a serious blow to our professional advancement. If we're not willing to hurt our career in order to do God's will, our job has become or will become a counterfeit God in our life. What if God would have asked Anna to do the same thing that Abraham did? What if God would have placed Anna at a crossroads where being obedient to God was standing in contrast to her love for her children and she was forced to make a decision? I think what we know already about Anna's life is she may not have made the same decision that Abraham made. Counselors would tell her that she needed to stop pushing her children into activities and projects they have no aptitude for. She has to stop punishing them emotionally for their bad grades. She has to give them freedom to fail. And all of that's true, but there's an underlying issue bigger than that that has to be confronted. She has to be able to say in her heart, My desire for completely successful and happy children is a selfish desire. It's less about them and more about me. It's all about my need to feel worthwhile and valuable. If I really knew God's love, then I could accept less than perfect kids and I wouldn't be crushing them with these heavy burdens of expectation that I'm placing on their lives. I could love my children less selfishly and more truly if God was in the right place on the throne of my heart. Anna has to go to Mariah. Anna's going to have to take her Isaacs and lay them on the altar and give God the central place of her life. Her over control of her children was not only unwillingness her unwillingness to let God be the Lord of her life, but it was also un- her unwillingness to let be God let God be the God of her children's lives. Anna couldn't imagine that God would have a better plan for her children's lives than the one she had spent years crafting and planning out. She had mapped out a perfect life without failure, without disappointments, but that flawed plan is more brutal to those children than the bumpy ride that God maps out for all of us. People who have never suffered in life are less sympathetic towards others. People that never suffered in life are, are, have little knowledge of their own shortcomings, they, they, uh, and their own limitations. They have no endurance in the face of hardship. And they have unreal expectations about life. If we spend our time controlling and protecting our children and don't let them live the plan that God has for them, trying to keep them from all the harms of this world, we make them selfish. We keep them from being strong enough to stand under hardship. We make them codependent on our life. And for some of us, that's what we want. Because our children, we want them to need us. Because we have a need to be needed. And that is when our children become idols in our own life. The success and love of Anna's children have been more important to her self-image than that of the glory and the love of God. Though she believes in God with her mind, her heart's deepest satisfaction is really one day to hear her children say, Mom, I owe everything to you. And sadly, because she has a misplaced and disordered love in her heart that her children are where God is supposed to be, she may never hear those words because of the unhealthy need for approval that she has of her children is pushing the one she loves away further and further and further. She has to be willing to put God first, to trust God with her children by letting them fail and find peace in the love and the will of God. She needs to go to Moriah with Abraham and allow God to uproot the idols in her own life. And I'm going to tell you, it's not easy. When the Holy Spirit begins to deal with idols in our life, it's one thing when it's money. It's another thing when it's success or power. But it's altogether a different thing when it's a relationship. It's not that God doesn't want Anna to love her children. It's not that God doesn't want... Abraham to love Isaac. It's not that God doesn't want me to love my kids or you, mom, to love your kids. But He wants us to look at our relationship with those kids in, in light of our love for Him. And if we get all of that out of whack, He knows us better than we know ourselves. And He knows how damaging it could be to our relationship with Him, ultimately our relationship with our children. You see, I, um, I had an experience as a young pastor. I'm going to ask Pastor Bear if he would to come to the platform and help us with that song we were singing just a moment ago. I want to believe again. I want to see again. I want to love again. I, uh, as a young pastor, I had an experience with a, a middle-aged couple who came to faith in Christ. They had lived very distant from God. They had been uh, addicted to various substances. And I can tell you right where I was standing the day that they showed up after they'd given their life to Christ in the driveway of the Parsonage where I was pastoring at the time. I, uh, I talked with them, there was an excitement, there was a fervor inside of them. I just knew this couple was going to be somebody for God. I just knew that, and God was doing something deep in their life. Years went on, and they were. They became a force to be reckoned with spiritually. But uh, they wanted a, a baby. I mean, late in life, they wanted a child. He had his kids, she had her kids, but they didn't have their kids. And they wanted a baby. And God gave them what they wanted. As the child was maybe just shy of its second birthday, they came into my office and said, Pastor, something's missing. We are having trouble in our marriage. We are having trouble connecting with God. We're having trouble in our relationships. We don't have the fire and the intensity and passion. We don't want to pray. It was a long conversation with a lot of other things. But at the end of the journey, I said, will you allow me to be completely honest with you? And they said, yes, you know, we're an open book. We gave our life to the Lord here. God changed our life here. And we want it back the way it used to be. And the little girl was in the room there with us. Then I said, don't misunderstand me. That girl is God's gift. She is God's answer to prayer. But it's what you've done with her that has brought all of this on. You've wanted her the most. And it's your want for her and what, what she means to your life has taken a greater role in your heart than what God has. It's evidenced in your own marital relationship. She's more important to you than you are to each other. She's more important to you than God is to you. And the way you have placed her on the throne of your heart has unseated God from His place. And the whole thing has become unhealthy. And I said, now you can hate me for saying that, but you came to me for advice and that's my opinion. And they said, I said, I've watched the last two years. I've watched how her, your love for her, has trumped every other love in your life. And it's not that God doesn't want you to love her. But He wants you to love her right. Because to love her wrong can create an idol out of her. And it will destroy her. It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your relationship with God. And they looked at me and said, we don't disagree, Pastor. But we don't know that we can do it. This is what we've wanted. Before we ever gave our life to Christ, we wanted a child together. And we got saved and God gave us this baby. And maybe, and they said it, maybe God's answer to prayer has become more important to us than God Himself. And I said, if you don't stop that track, it's going to destroy you. They left my office that day with the plan in their heart to make it different. But idols are hard to get out of your heart. Especially when you love them like a parent loves a child. I know those people today and ask about them often. Today that little two-year-old girl is headed to college. She's grown. And uh, they weren't ever able to get their hand around their plan. She stayed the idol of their heart. It's a miracle they're still married. It hasn't been fulfilling. And their girl thinks the world revolves around her she doesn't know how to face problems because mom and dad rescued her out of everything she can do no wrong and she doesn't think anything she does is wrong at all they don't see it she doesn't see it it's the kind of child you create kind of marriage you have when there's a disordinate love in your heart there are a lot of other issues about that story i don't have time to flesh out but i've seen the good side of it i saw the discovery I saw the moment the Holy Spirit exposed to them the idol of their heart and their inability to deal with it. I've watched it flesh out in their family. I'm not just talking about that family. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about us because it's easy for a desire to become an idol. But it's also easy to turn it back to the Lord and allow the Lord to take His place in our heart he can give us the love to love them purely. You know what? When I dedicated my kids to the Lord, I gave them to God. But sometimes we go through the act of dedicating children to the Lord, but we don't act it out when we give because we act like they're ours. They're not ours, they're His. And the more I understand that, the more I'm able to parent and love them appropriately. But I'm going to tell you, I'm a man. I had two boys, that was the first thing I had. I got a baby girl. Uh, now, But, I, I, you know, I, I've got two boys, and, and I used to sit around when Haley said, the doctor said the first one was a boy. You know, I just, I was going to, you know, get him, take him up in the hospital room and offer him to the football gods, you know, so I could retire and travel and do missions work while he wrote the checks, you know. I got all these ambitions for my children. I was an average athlete, but I had dreams of being better. So it's easy for me as a dad to say, well, what I couldn't do, my children are going to do. So I'm going to make sure they go to every practice and we spend all the money on the right coaches and we go to and imposing what I never was trying to live through them. And I've watched so many dads destroy their sons trying to be what they never were. And then I have the same danger because I was a good student. I did excel in academics. To expect my children to do the same thing. And so in one way, I can try to force on my children the life that I wanted that I couldn't be. Another way, I can try to put undue expectation on my children trying to make them what I was. As I try to live my life through them instead of surrendering them to God, I control them. I manipulate them. I place undue burdens on them. I stunt their growth. I elevate that in that life and it's less about them and more about me. I idolize that relationship and I remove God from the throne of my heart. It becomes a very dangerous thing for all of us. Psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. I'm just going to ask you to let the Lord search your heart this morning. Whether you're a mother And it relates on Mother's Day or you're a father or whether it has something to do beyond kids and relationship, it's career, it's something else that is vying for God's place in your life. All we can do is surrender, ask God to expose it, and then like a root canal, pull it out of there, unseated from our hearts. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you will, across this place. I'm going to ask the prayer team for this service if they would. Would you make yourself available today? And that's what they're going to do. Our 1130 prayer team is just going to make themselves available. At the end of every service, we try to have a James 5.14 moment. An opportunity, the Bible says in James 5.14, to pray the prayer of faith with you. And miracles can happen when we agree together in prayer. And these people are available this morning. If you just need to apply god's word to your heart if you need to respond in some way to what the holy spirit is saying to you as he begins to unseat the idols of your own heart or quite possibly it's something very different maybe you are in between a promise and its fulfillment maybe you're waiting on healing financial provision restoration in a relationship i really challenge you this morning To come and let there be an agreement in prayer that God would begin to respond. But by doing so, by coming this morning, you're telling God you're the most important thing. What you do for me is secondary. But because I know who you are, I believe in what you can do. But keep who He is the priority. Acknowledge Him first. If you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all the other stuff can happen. We just chase the other stuff first too often. So today, it's an acknowledgement of His Lordship. But believing because of His Lordship, there is healing in the house, restoration in the house, provision in the house, hope in the house today. And so, I'm going to pray a blessing over you today. I'm going to bless you on this Mother's Day, a biblical word right out of the scripture, a blessing. And if you need to join with us in prayer, Pastor Bear is going to keep the environment worshipful. You can just linger in the presence of God, come for prayer but I want you to leave here blessed and I want the word of God to continue to be probing our hearts even after we walk out of this room. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will bless them and keep them. That you will make your face shine down upon them. That you will be gracious to them. And that you will give them peace. Turn your countenance their direction today, Lord. Turn your countenance my direction today, God. And as you look into my heart, expose the places where the answers to my own prayers have become more important to me than you whether it's my relationships or the material blessings in my life or the call of God on my heart God will you you rearrange my life so that you are the king of my heart God I pray for mothers today bless them Bless them. May their children rise up and call them blessed. I ask you to go with us, Father, and slay the idols of our heart and take your place on the throne of our heart. And as we join together in prayer today over various needs of this altar, we acknowledge your lordship, Lord. We pray that your will be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. There'll be no formal benediction to the service. The altars are open. Don't miss the moment in prayer today.